We're going to go to Philippians chapter 4, and we, we mentioned, preached last time about our thought life. And humans are interesting in not only can we, in the fact that not only can we think, but we can think about our thinking. The average person, they say, has 10,000 different thoughts a day, which equals out to about three and a half million thoughts per year. Now, that averages for men, right? Ladies, it has never been successfully calculated how many thoughts the average woman has. And no one would dare even try. But uh, you know what that means? If you had 10,000 thoughts a day, you're looking at, by the time you're 75, 26 million different thoughts. I don't know about you. Thinking about thoughts is hard sometimes. It's like trying to bite your own teeth. How do you do that? You can't bite without teeth. You can't think without thinking. But thinking about your thoughts is, is an important thing. In fact, we're not supposed to just think about them. The Lord tells us in our text today that we are supposed to think certain thoughts. We'll get to that in a little while. But your thoughts basically equal your destiny. Not, equal, not just equal, they create your destiny. It's a very important truth. Uh, if you sow a thought, you reap an action. If you sow an action, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. If you sow character, you will reap a destiny. You know why the people that you uh, can't stand are that way? Because of their thoughts. Because of how they think, it, ha- it, it, it informs their habits, their actions, their character, and their destiny. Someone said this phrase, I want you to listen to this, what the mind attends to, it considers. What the mind does not attend to, it dismisses. What the mind attends to continually, it believes. And what the mind believes, it eventually does. Thoughts come in, we consider them. If we don't attend to them, dismiss them. If we attend to them on a regular basis, we start to believe them. And then if we continue to believe them, we will act upon them. Just like thunder follows lightning, man's actions are nothing more than the afterclap of his thoughts. You know what a man is going to do if you could back the train up a little bit and see what he thinks. Alexander McLaren said this, Anywhere you look in the world... You will see something solid that began in the mind of a man or woman. Institutions, buildings, governments, inventions and machines, steamships and electric telegrams, going back a few years, law and government, palaces and fortresses, they are all but embodied thoughts. There was a thought at the back of each of them which took shape. I'll give you a very, very obvious, concrete example. This pulpit. <coughs> this pulpit is solid. I could not, I've tried, I can't pound through it. But this pulpit didn't always exist. Someone, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago now, had a thought, what if we built a pulpit? And so they took those raw materials, and what was not is now. Everything's the same. The, the, the stage, the carpet, the pews upon which you're sitting, ceiling, chandeliers, this building, everything that is solid has something to do with our thoughts. It came from the thoughts, the car that you're going to get in and drive away. A lot of engineers thinking about that, maybe not thinking hard enough, but they were thinking. Listen to what Henry Ford said in 1906. I will build a car for the great multitude. It will be large enough for the family, but small enough for the individual to run and care for. It will be constructed of the best materials, by the best men to be hired, after the simplest designs that modern engineering can devise. But it will be so low in price that no man making a good salary will be unable to own one, and enjoy with his family the blessings of hours of pleasure in God's great open spaces. That was 1906. Two years later, the first Model T rolled off the line. 
You know where the Model T was long before it was on the road? It was in Henry Ford's thoughts. He could conceive of the Model T, and so he achieved it. In fact, that phrase, whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, it can achieve. That's a very popular quote. It came from a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, 1937. This guy was the father, they say, of self-help or self-improvement books and philosophies. He was also a charlatan. He was also a failure in many ways. Not just a failure in business, but he was a swindler. And uh, the, the list is long of money that he stole from people. He valued a company and sold shares in it. He valued it at $100,000 and sold shares to people. That was his own personal valuation of his company. And experts looked at it and said it's worth $1,200. This was back in the 20s. But that, that mindset of I can think it, I can do it. It's very popular. It's popular today. Guys like Tony Robbins have received this philosophy, this inheritance from guys like Napoleon Hill. When, uh, but before it got there, it passed through uh, a man who, who credited Hill for his work. That was the, the book 1952 from Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. You see, there is a truth in this positive mental attitude. You know, uh, I'm, I'm good, I feel good, I feel great, I feel wonderful. You know, telling yourself, this is going to be a great day. Looking yourself in the, in, the, in the mirror in the morning. You're a tiger, go get them. You're unstoppable, you're an animal. They can't, all the haters, you know. It's important to have haters. It's very important. We were talking about Ben Cerrone, we were talking about yesterday. Like, you don't have any, nobody even knows your name. You don't have any haters. And sometimes the haters are right. It's like the guy said. The haters said I couldn't do it, and they were right. <laughs> Honestly, great call from the haters, right? I think, I think sometimes we, we, we have this idea that, you know, I, I, I've, I'm in a battle, and there's people all around that want to bring me down. No, it's your mom saying, get out of bed. <laughs> Those are two different things. Positive mental, positive mental attitude. So this guy, if you were to take his book, Think and Grow Rich... And you were to look at words that he would say you need to focus on, you need to repeat, you need to have in your mind, you need to say them over and over again like a mantra. Here's some of the words that he would use. Purpose, goals, persistence, self-confidence, possibilities, growth, change, visualization. Visualize it. Have that dream board. Put that Corvette on your refrigerator. That's what I'm buying. And tell yourself every day. Ideas, decisiveness, achievement, wealth, abundance. Now let me ask you this question. Is it true that if you focus your life on those things, there's a good chance you will succeed? That is true. There's a reason why self-help books work and are sold. Because it is true. It is true. What is true? Not so much that if you want to be rich, you will. No, no, no. But what you think on determines your destiny. That is true. But if we were to contrast Napoleon Hill's focus and mantra with what the Lord says we should be thinking on, the difference couldn't be greater. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Look what he says in verse 8. Finally, brethren, he's talking about the the apex or, or the maturity of a believer, spiritual maturity. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. I'm going to go through and talk to you about what these things are, and then I'm going to give you a couple of, uh, of biblical requirements or mandates concerning the mind when we get through this list. But he's been talking in verse number six. He talked with us about our prayer life, 
How many of you have been finding recently some help in the area of be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God? How many are like that? I'm like that. So easy to just, how many are still struggling under the normal? Okay. Why? Our minds fill up with care. The Lord said, do not be filled up with care. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall do what? Keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What a blessing. You have the ability to have a mind full of peace. If you are not at peace, it's not God's fault. And by the way, God wants you to be at peace. God expects you to be at peace. You can be at peace. The world tells you, you could be at peace if you were on a desert island. By yourself. If you could have unlimited margaritas, you could be at peace. It's not true. It's a lie. It's a lie. How do I know that? Look at the billionaires. Look at the billionaires who struggle. You know, they get divorced too. Many of them go bankrupt as well. You see, peace is not what you have or your position, your your place that you own. Peace is internal. And you can have peace. God expects you to have peace. Well, when is God going to change everything? God's not going to change everything. You have a responsibility, and I do. He told us what to do in verse 6 about our cares. Turn your cares into prayers. And now he's telling us to set our mind on certain things. Certain things that will bring Christ-likeness. Okay, so hold your place in four, and maybe you don't have to even flip back. Look at chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you. Okay? The theme of Philippians is how to have joy through the mind of Christ, no matter what. It's not just have joy, be happy, laugh already. Sometimes it's hard to laugh. He didn't tell you to to change your thoughts, just change them. He said, let this mind be in you. Yield to the mind of Christ instead of your mind. You say, well, how am I supposed to do that? Let me ask you this question. How has it worked out for you using your mind? How's that working out for you? It has, has a tendency to kind of, the wheels come off, doesn't it? I mean, there, if you find yourself thinking more about when you were 18 and virile and stood strong against the sun, you're not using the mind of Christ. You're using your own fleshly mind. Let's say you've been saved for 50 years and all you can think about is how strong you used to be in mind. You're not using the mind of Christ. You're trying desperately to get back to what your mind was. You know, it could have been your greatest enemy, your mind. In fact, it was. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. God's not looking to strengthen your human mind. He's asking you to release your mind, whatever you want it to be, and to use the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. Let it be in you. So we're told here to think upon these things. Back in chapter 4, verse 8, he's telling us what to think about. And if it's this mind which was also in Christ Jesus, he's telling us to think on those things that Christ himself had his mind on when he was on the earth and has his mind on today. It's a lot of noise being generated today by man and machine that is that a holy God would never set his mind on. These are the things that Christ thinks about. Philippians 4.8, whatsoever things are true. Here's how to, to I'm going to give you just a little phrase, a little question for each one of these that can help you inventory your thoughts. Go through your thoughts. So some, if, if it's 10,000 thoughts a day, you probably already had 2,000 today, another 8,000 to go. How many of those would, how many of those thoughts would fit comfortably in the mind of Jesus Christ? How many of them would Christ think? You say, well, I'm not Jesus. Well, in your flesh, you're certainly not. But do you think you have a different kind of Jesus if you're saved? No. There's only one. There's only one mind of Christ. 
And the amazing thing is that God can have his mind through Christ in every believer, the same mind. That's why it makes, that's why over and over again, beseech you, brethren, you have the same mind in the Lord. Unity is not only possible, it's commanded. But how can we do that? By all accessing the same mind, which is contained in the Bible. This is the mind of Christ. You can have it. Not only can have it, you have it. And it should dictate to you. You know what we think? Well, those, it's like my son when he was a toddler. I can't remember who it was. He said, my thoughts is not your thoughts. My thoughts is mine. I mean, that's called being in, the, in, in church and, you know, kind of mashing everything together. A lot of Christians say that. My thoughts is not your thoughts. My thoughts is mine. No, no, yeah, I mean, you, I guess, but that's not what God wants. He doesn't want us drawing up our own little circle that says, I can think whatever I want to think, and I should, and it's my, it's my right, and it's only fair that I get to have my own thinking. No, if you're, if you're crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So what does Jesus think about you being 46 years old like I am? What does Jesus think about you being 15 and your, and your actions and decisions that you have to make? What does Jesus think about you being married? What does he think about your retirement? What does he think about your, uh, your, your projects that you have planned? You see, these are the things we have to bring our thoughts to the Lord and say, Lord, are these okay with you? And the first one he says, what sort of things are true? True. Here's the question to ask. Is this thing actually true? You could put thought. Because whatsoever things, think on these things. But he said, whatsoever things are true. Is this thing actually true? Ask that question of yourself. You know what people ask today? Not is it true, but does it work? Does it work? Pragmatism. And they ask this question. How, how will it make me feel? That's how I know whether something is true or not. In American society, truth is whatever works for me and whatever makes me feel good. And that's why they talk about my truth. My truth. What they mean is, it works for me and it makes me feel good. So therefore, it must be true. But is, is that really true? If I decide that I want to eat Rocky Road ice cream and a gallon of it will cure my diabetes, if I decide that that is true... Is it true? No, it's not true. There is such a thing as absolute truth. There are subjective truths. Some people like, uh, they like the winter more. Crazy people. Some people like the summer more. Godly people. Amen. Right. But ultimately, can I tell you, no, it's bad for you to like the winter. You must like this. I can't tell you that. That is true for you, but that's not absolute truth. That's just a preference. It's a preference. So we're talking about whatsoever things are true. Not, do I like it? Not, does it work for me? But what does God say is true? Okay. How do we know what's true? Well, it's very simple. The Bible's true. John 17, 17, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. He said in Psalm 119, verse 160, thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. You know, it's a, a lot of what is reported by man is either blatantly false, false or unverifiable. Impossible to verify. But the word of God is true. He said in Psalm 119, 151, Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. When you pick up the Bible and you read the words that God has given to man, you can know 100% sure that these words are true. Isn't it wild that we would, our, our, our old nature, our carnal mind, would rather watch conspiracy theories and, and, and wild questions and, and fights on television, then we were, would read the truth. That's the old, old nature. He said, here's what you should be directing your mind to, whatsoever things are true. If you were to take your thought life and just cut out everything that wasn't true, you would grow in Christ-likeness. 
you would be more Christ-like. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when you're reading the words that Jesus, who is the truth, said are true, you can rely on those. There's not too many things you can rely on anymore. Remember when they said it was covered by the warranty? (laughs) Remember when it wasn't? What's wrong? Lack of truth. So let me ask you, do you listen to, do you read your Bible on a regular basis? Do you listen to preaching on a regular basis? Are you meditating on the words of God? You see, this is how you can fix your thought life. By choosing to meditate and to think on whatsoever things are true. Okay, so let me ask you this. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that bad things are going to happen. Is that true? How would you know if it's true if you, if you can't get to tomorrow? That right there will cut out a lot of your anxiety and difficulties. If you are meditating on, thinking on things that are true, not things that might be true, what things, whatsoever things are true. What is true? By the way, you might think, well, I think I, I, I don't have any problems. I don't have any cares. I'm going to live forever. Is that true? It's not. You do not know for sure if you will live forever. What do you know? I know that I'm alive right now, that God has given me his word, and his word is true, and I'm going to trust what he said over what I feel or whatever works for me. Whatsoever things are true. Then he says, whatsoever things are honest. Honest. That's an interesting one. Here's the question. Does this thing represent the whole truth? So there's a difference between being truth, truthful and honest. Honorable is in the same family. Noble. That's why when you raise your hand in the courtroom, they say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Because some of us are raised in independent fundamental Baptist churches. And we know how to get around it. We know how to say that which is true, but leave unsaid other parts. That's what the Lord said, providing for things honest in the sight of men. Providing for things honest. That is, let me tell you, the rest of this. Let me give you a couple examples. Teenage boy and girl going on a date to get some ice cream. Mom and dad said, hey, go get ice cream. Be back by 9 o'clock. So they get in the car. They drive. They go get some ice cream. And then they go down to the lake and park for a while and make out. And then look at the clock and they go, oh, we better get back. And they come back and, uh, and, they, and they come back at 8.58. They come in the door and uh, mom and dad say, hey, where you been? We went to the ice cream store. And we're back. Is that true? That's true. They went to the ice cream store and they're back. Not only back, they're back on time. But what else are they not telling us? The whole truth. Does this thing have, is this contain the whole truth? Honest. You see, sometimes we can, we can get this thing, Lord, I trust you, I trust you. I trust you, Lord, and I believe your word is true. But are you being honest with the Lord? Are you opening up your heart? Or you have a little, a little room that you never open for God? If you're going to be honest and have a thought life that that mirrors the life of Jesus Christ, you have to open up and tell the whole truth. Remember when they used to say, uh, you know, this person died with COVID-19. And then we had to learn that there was a difference between dying with COVID-19 and dying from COVID-19. Right? How about this? Did you know that, uh, let's say I made up a, you know, a, a, a number, X amount of people... X amount of smokers in America die every year. Let's say, they say 480,000 people die of, of smoking every year. I think that's the stat. And I think that this is true, and I think that it is honest when they say that. But do you know there's a difference between people who die who smoke and people who die because they smoke? Right? Being honest is opening up beyond just the actual facts. Yes, actually, that is factually true. What else is in there? 
that's not being said. When a guy stands up and says, I want to proclaim to you that this is the word of God, and then he spends half an hour telling you why that word that's there should be translated another word, and you should trust his definition of the word instead of the word that God put in his book. Is he being truthful when he said, this is the word of God? Yes, but he's not being honest because he doesn't believe that it is the word of God. This is what he means by being honest, telling the whole truth. God doesn't want us toying with the truth, manipulating the truth, telling part of the truth, twisting it. He wants us to think about the full representation of the truth in its every detail. How many times do you, you, does your thought life focus on how to get away with stuff while still looking like the squeaky clean person that you want everyone to think you are? Hmm. You wonder, you wonder why sometimes there's, a, there, there's all of a sudden a broken reed, there's a broken floorboard you didn't know about in your mind. Life leans on you and you crumble under it. Part of it because you're not being honest. And you don't think about things that are honest. The next one here is whatsoever things are just. Just. Proverbs 11.1, 1, a false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. To justify means to declare righteous. So think about from this standpoint. God wants us to think on things that he said are right. And here's the question. Would God judge this thing to be right? Not what I think is right. Would God judge this thing to be right? So if, you're, if you have a, a, a habit, a mental habit, that constantly comes back into your mind on a regular basis, is that thing just according to God? Would God say, I'm going to bring that into a court of law and I'm going to say that is right? You see why we have bad habits is because we, mental habits, is we just think the way we've always thought. It's, what, it's how we think. And maybe it's calcified and grown and, and, and we haven't even realized how big that thought has become or that habit has become. And we've never put it under the microscope of God's word to see if that thing is truly just. Just. What is that? Someone who is equitable. A person who is just is fair. A person who is just can be trusted to make the right call to have good judgment. The law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. We're supposed to think on things that are fair and equitable from God's perspective. Next, whatsoever things are pure. Pure. Here's the question. Is this thing clean? Is this thing clean? People say, well, how do you know? I mean, how far do you have to go before it's dirty? Well, how many drops of poison do you put in your pot before it's poisonous? Let me ask you this. How much mud should go on a wedding dress before it's not pure? You see, it's easy to make those determinations, but especially when it's in somebody else's life. You know, even the lost world knows G, PG, PG PG-13. Even the lost world understands the concept of ratings, Some things are purer than others. Why don't we put our our thoughts under that same rubric? Whatsoever things are pure. Well, what is pure? Well, we know one thing is pure. The Word of God is pure. The Lord told us, the Lord said, Thy word is pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. He said, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Is there a reason why we're just not interested in being near the Bible? You know, you ever, you ever find in your heart that when you're right with the Lord, you love the Bible. And when you don't really, you're not kind of walking with God much, the Bible's a distant book to you. The Bible seems kind of cryptic and ancient and musty. Out of step, old-fashioned. Why? That's not because it changes, it's because you change. Thy word is very pure. If you don't love the word of God, what does that say about your thought life? Your thought life must not be very pure. Because birds of a feather flock together. 
The Bible tells us in Hebrews 7.26, Jesus Christ is pure. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Jesus is pure. Ephesians 4.30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is pure. You see, people ask, what's wrong with it? Why can't I? Instead of asking, is it pure? Think about this. I've got a new grandbaby. You know what we're not thinking about? We're not thinking, oh, she needs to grow up. She needs to get out there. This world is rough and tough. I don't care where, you know, she sleeps. Let her deal with it. You know what we're trying to do? We're trying to protect her. Her parents are very concerned about keeping her clean, keeping her protected and safe. They're, they're not interested in getting her out in the mud. They're, they're not interested in letting her just run wild in the streets. Even if she could run, she can't even crawl. They're not just going to let her flail around and do what she wants. Why? They want to protect her from disease. Isn't it weird how you would want to protect your own kids from impurity, but it's okay for you to let impurity run wild in your own mind? What's up with that? You see, we all get used to our patterns. We get used to how we have that mental limp and we halt on our thigh. That's just how I've always been. God's not looking to strengthen your wicked mind. He's looking to replace it with the mind of Christ. And that sounds like pie in the sky. But let me ask you this. When you got married, did you find, you're a man, you found that your wife, it just took a while for your wife to finally realize how right you were and to start thinking like you. Is that how marriage works? No. You know how marriage works? You thought you knew everything, and she thought she knew everything, and boy, were you in for a surprise. What happens? You change. According to what? According to how the other person thinks. You see, if you've been married for more than 10 minutes, you understand what Jesus is trying to say. He's saying, I want you to stop thinking how you think, and I want you to think how I think. Well, how am I supposed to know how you think, God? You're in heaven. Fortunately, he came came up big for us. He gave us an entire book full of his thoughts. In fact, it contains everything God wants you to know about him. And as you get into that, you realize my thoughts aren't lining up. Chuck that thought, it's not pure, and insert the pure mind of Jesus Christ. Challenge you to this. Hey, there's something bothering you. There's something in the back of your mind that's just sitting there, kind of working away. What is it? If Jesus Christ were to take your mind and put it into his mind, how many thoughts that you have on a regular basis could stay? You see, it's not God putting your mind into his. It's your, your mind, his mind rather, being put into your head where you think and letting all the junk that you think go away. It's the mind of Christ. Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, lovely. Here's the question. Does this thing reflect God's love? Does a, does a rose reflect God's love? I think it does. Especially consider its beauty com- combined with the thorns. Boy, that reflects the love of Christ. Does a beautiful sunrise reflect the love of God? Oh, sure it does. Can a drink, a, a cup of coffee reflect the love of God? Sure it can. Can a nice meal? Yes. Can a relationship? Yes. Can it reflect the love of God? Yes. Why? Because the, the Father gives good gifts. Every good and perfect gift cometh down for the Father of lights. So you, those things are lovely. Does it reflect the love of God? Violence is not love. Crime is not love. Selfishness, bloodshed, hatred is not... Well, you ever think about the people who sit, used to... I don't know who is the corollary today. used to be... Um, Used to be the guy who was the crazy guy that had all the wild people on his show, uh, Springer, Jerry Springer. Remember that? And people would watch them and hope, like, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> they're arguing, they're throwing stuff, they're yelling, you're pointing at each other, screaming. And people watch that, you know, Cheetos, <laughs> you know, big gulp. That's it, it's entertainment to watch people scream and yell. You say, they're making it up. Well, then that's even worse, isn't it? 
That's like watching WWE wrestling or whatever it is now. It's pretend, and you're watching it. It's like people who watch others play video games. I don't. I'm going to start a channel where we watch people who are watching other people play video games. <laughs> what, what? It's crazy, isn't it? But you, you think about reflecting the love of God. Does it reflect the love of God? Shouldn't we be thinking about things that promote Christian love? You know, if we're not careful, we're getting down to the point where all we think about is what somebody else tells us to think about. Well, what can we think about? Well, you can think about things that God created. How long has it been since you took a walk in the woods? You know what I love about the woods? I love going in there because... Man had nothing to do with it. Now, I mean, he may have planted some trees here or bushes there. He may have, you know, carved out a trail. But as far as the stuff that's growing in there, man had nothing to do with it. How many things in your life could you say, I think about things that promote and reflect the love of God? By the way, if Paul can think these lovely thoughts when he's in jail... How much more can you and I, when we're sitting in our air-conditioned home, comfort? Hey, God's been so good to us. There's a lot we can think about that reflects the love of God. Number next, whatsoever things are of good report. The question is, would godly people love to hear about this? Now, I hope that these questions are, I hope that this is not just, you know, getting filed in, you know, the, in, in the, the round file. I hope that you're understanding here, it, the intention is that you can use these questions and you can use these words to vet your thought life. You have the power to do that. So let me ask you this, young people, if, you're not, if it's not something that you could tell your parents, it's probably not a good report. Um, church member, adult, if you couldn't stand up and give a testimony about it in church telling everybody, then it's not, probably not a good report. He said, whatsoever things are a good report, he said, if there be any virtue, virtue is the power to do what I know is right. And the power to stop what is wrong. Jesus could tell that virtue went out of him. What was that? It's not righteousness. It's the strength, the power to heal her. That's the original meaning of virtue. And he said, is there, if there be any virtue. So here's the question. Is there any godly strength in this thing? Any, any strength from God in this thought? If there be any praise, question, Will this thing bring praise to Jesus? This thought that I'm having, could it be used to praise the Lord? He said, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, what's the next admonition? Think on these things. Think. And that leads me to the second part of the message as we Start to come down into the landing. First, take responsibility for your thoughts. Take responsibility for your thoughts. Think on these things. Take your Bibles to two places. Look at Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs 25. And look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Proverbs 25. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 25 verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. He's likening the mind, the spirit, the attitude to a city. A city that's supposed to have walls so that it continue to exist in peace and, and safety. And yet this city has no walls, kind of like our southern border. People want our southern border to have no walls. I don't know why. I don't understand it. Why? You have walls in your house. You have locks on your doors. What does that do? That protects you. 
And for many of the men here, it protects them from you. If they ever manage to get in your house, they would be very sorry. Why? What you value, you protect. So why don't you have walls around your mind? Why don't you protect your thoughts? You see, what we think, a lot of people think this. I can't help my thoughts. I, 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 mean, I, th- I don't know how I started thinking this way and there's nothing I can do. Hold on. Do you ever get hungry? Do you ever think, I'm going to go get something to eat? You can control your thoughts. You had a thought and you acted on it. But what if a thought comes in that's bad? What should I do with that? I don't know what to do with it. If, let me ask you a question. If you're in a grocery store and you see a little toddler and he's, he's whining and crying and, and, and you saw another person come up and say, Hey, shut up. I don't want to hear you. This is not your house. Stop being a baby. Would you say anything? If you wouldn't, you probably also don't say anything to your thoughts. Why? I don't know what to do. My hands are tied. Yeah, your hands are tied with corruption. Your hands are tied with uh, crime and violence and lust in your heart. That's what you act on. But with righteousness, purity, loveliness, no, you don't act on that. You don't stand for what is right. Why? Your city is broken down and without walls. Here's the thing. Your job, my job, is to direct our thoughts. Well, I just love him. I don't know how not to love him. That's not true. There came a point when he came across your radar screen and you said, I like him. No one made you like him. You chose to like him. So guess what? You can choose not to like him. People don't like this kind of preaching. You know why? Because we, we think whatever works for me, whatever I feel is true. And that's why your city's broken down without walls. That's why people come walk, walking in, going out. You ever look at San Francisco? You ever see what it's become? It used to be a beautiful city, and now what has it become? It's become a, a garbage dump. Why? Because anybody can come in and do whatever they want. They can urinate, defecate, they can set up a house, they can take over, they can cut down a tree, they can do whatever they want. Much like Christians' minds. You can come in, you can do whatever you want in my mind. I don't have a power. I'm telling you, you do have the power. You do have the power. You have the power to determine what you think about. He said, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Do it. Why would God tell you to do something that you couldn't do? I'm glad this mic happened because some of you can actually think about my message. Think. Take your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse number 3. He said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Okay? We're, we're in a war in our mind, but it's not a physical war. It's not a carnal war. It's not a war that you can just kind of Napoleon Hill your way through it and make it happen because you want. No, it is mighty through God. You have weapons in this warfare. And what are those weapons? The weapons are the words of God. Verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought should be required to show his or her passport and a clean bill of health before it's allowed to run around in your mind. Amen. Well, I can't do anything about it. It's, 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 you know, I just have these thoughts and they come in and they, what do they call them today? Intrusive thoughts. And I understand. You can let it happen. You know, people say, I should never have listened to that thought. I should never. You're right. You shouldn't have. What, you should you, what should you listen to anyhow? The words of God. What does God say about you? You're not the exception to the rule, are you? you? You don't think you're a special creation that no one has, there's never been one other one like you, do you? Does the Bible apply to you, believer or not? If it does, your job, my job, is to go out there and bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. You have been deputized by God to make arrests. 
Go out in the town of your mind and say, hey, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? It doesn't sound like the Bible that I know. This is not the mind of Christ. Yeah, but you know me. I've been hanging out here for so long. I've been living here. I watched the video of somebody up in Detroit uh, arguing with someone about the fact that no one has been in this house. I've been squatting here. It's mine. Arguing with them. It's mine as much as anybody. That's what your thoughts do. Your thoughts masquerade as godly thoughts. They come in and they live there. Your, your thought patterns. And they say, I have just as much right in this mind as you do. That's not true. Your mind has been, you have been given the mind of Christ, which was purchased at great cost to himself. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You don't have to think those envious, covetous, angry thoughts. You don't have to. Not only that, you're not supposed to. God says, stop it. Stop thinking that way. Well, I don't understand how. Here's how you do it. You memorize verses about your particular problem. Your problem. What is it? It's good to memorize verses in general, but why would you memorize verses about somebody else's habits? Memorize your, the, the, the verses that deal with your habits, your thought patterns. Do you even know what your besetting sin is? What is it that always gets you? You ever go jump on a trampoline? You have a sibling that comes along and jumps right before you. What does that do? Knocks you for a loop. That's your besetting sin. You're going through life. All of a sudden, the besetting sin shows up and does that, and you crumble. What is your besetting sin? What does God's word say about your besetting sin? Is it fear? Anxiety? Is 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 it covetousness? Find out what God's word says, and then here's how you do it. You go around your thought city, and you go into every, every crook and nanny, uh, crook, nook and cranny. Thank you, Lord, that woke him up. Nook and cranny, and you go through and you say, well, why are you thinking that way? Well, I've always thought this way. Not anymore, you're not. You're not thinking that way anymore. Why? Because I don't like it. You know, it is possible for, the, for Napoleon Hill style self-improvement. It is possible for you to clean the devil out of your mind. But guess what happens? That devil is going to come back and say, oh, look at this nice, new and improved mind. And he's going to go get a bunch more devils and come in and, take, and hang out. See, it's not self-help that does it. It's the new mind of Christ in you. So it doesn't. It's yielding yourself to what he says is true, not what you think or feel is true. Okay, so what happens now? I go through my mind and I ask a thought. So, okay, so you're afraid of that. Okay, so you're upset about that. Okay, so you're bitter about that. Is that the way Jesus thinks about this? Well, how would I even know what Jesus thinks? You read the Bible. This is the mind of Christ. That's how you know. And when your thoughts don't line up with Scripture, you say, turn around. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be held against you in the court of God's justice. And you book them. And guess what? They don't get their day in court. Why? They're anti-God. You are responsible. I'm responsible for booking those guys. I have to take them under arrest and bring them to a place where they can no longer affect me. It's my job. How do I do that? Every day, I think about my thoughts. I think, is this the right thought? Is this the thought that Jesus would have in this situation? And then if it's not, I arrest it. You see, it's not trying to think better. It's training your mind to think better. Secondly, you can replace your thoughts. You're supposed to take responsibility. You must take responsibility for your thoughts, but you can replace your thoughts. They say the average person has more than 200 negative thoughts a day. Worry, jealousy, insecurity, cravings. They say depressed people have as many as 600. 600. A lady named Betty Sicelli, she said this, two thoughts cannot occupy the mind at the same time. So the choice is ours whether or not thoughts will be constructive or destructive. You see, we're commanded to replace our thoughts, not just take responsibility for them. If I tell you, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a phrase, and it is impossible for you not to think of that phrase. I want, you to, I want you not to think of the phrase that I'm going to give you. 
It's not really a phrase. It's just a, a noun, really. I want you not to think about blue elephants. Do not think about them. You know the only way you can not think about them? To think about something else. You've got to replace that thought that you don't want to think about with something that you do want to think about. It's the only way you can do it. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the what? Knowledge of God. Anything that's in competition with God's word, with the knowledge of who he is, has to go. Why? I'm focused on what he says. You'll, you'll find a direct line between people who have lots of mental problems. And I'm not talking about physiological. Some cases there are actual physiological problems. I'm talking about the, the average person. You can trace a line from someone with mental problems to their lack of connection with the Word of God. Not 100%. I understand that. But there's a great, great correlation there. And so what I'm supposed to do is replace my thoughts with his thoughts. He said in verse number 6 of Philippians 4, Be careful for nothing, for in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You see, the human mind is depraved. It's hardened to spiritual truth. It's blinded by Satan. It's ignorant. It's defiled. It's focused on the flesh. It's hostile to God. It's ignorant. You could go on and on and on. That human mind is what it is. And yet, here's what the Lord said. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Salvation is a free gift. The mind of Christ is a free gift that is given to you. You can either use that mind or you can neglect it. You can either allow his mind to be running the show in your mind or you can fight, 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 fight in your flesh. Do it your way and your city will be broken down and without walls. He tells us whatsoever things are, And then he said, think on these things. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning.